Dave Megacy, number 60, a six-year veteran, started for the first time this season and played the right linebacker spot with considerable skill. His fine speed enabled him to drop back with the receiver or come up quickly to make the tackle, and his pass coverage was excellent. In the late 1960s, the game was played against a backdrop of conflict at home and war in Vietnam, a time when Dave Megacy took a personal stand that ultimately cost him his job. It really came down to, in my last year in 1969, was uh, when I was the best linebacker on the team and I was benched uh, because of my anti-war activities. Sport in the 1960s was going through the same transition as society. It was also a time of tremendous change in terms of the way that we viewed ourselves. Things were breaking open, people were questioning a lot of things. I mean, it was the civil rights movement, it was the anti-war movement, it was the women's movement, it was a whole lot of things were breaking open that people were questioning how things were being done in the country. School was being challenged by the students. Authority in the workplace was being challenged by the workers. Authority in sports was being challenged by the athletes. I wanted somewhere in me to initiate positive changes in the game, to, game, to make the game, if you will, a better game for people who followed me. He was unhappy with how the game was, the establishment was running the game. And he loved the game itself. Uh, it gave him great opportunity throughout his life. Uh, it put him through school, gave him opportunities as, a, as an adult that he would not have had otherwise. Uh, and it gave him a voice. At the peak of his career, Megacy chose to quit the game and write a book, denouncing the power and structure of the NFL. He assaulted an institution, and nobody else had ever done it. People were uh, totally up in arms about it. They thought that he was going to bring down the game and that he was part of some communist conspiracy. Most of us on the team then really preferred more to concentrate on the football uh, rather than the activities outside. It caused a distraction on our football team and one that a lot of us didn't appreciate. A lot of guys had read the book and a lot of guys knew about it and, and I think the effect was that it generally raised consciousness, if you will, about the system, uh, you know, had a lot of injustice in it and could be changed. Welcome to Good Seats Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. Hey now, how is it going, everybody? Your pal Tim reporting for duty. It's good. Seats still available. Yes, of course. The curious little podcast that is devoted to what used to be in the realm, in the uh, pantheon of professional sports. Thanks for coming on by. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, the tone is set. With that little clip there from NFL Films, we couldn't figure out exactly when it originally aired and ran. We think it was sort of in the late 70s or so. Not quite sure. But our guest this week is a fascinating guy. The name is Dave Megacy. And uh, if that is vaguely familiar to you, um, uh, you uh, should uh, probably remember the fact that uh, uh, Dave was not only a, uh, a, a, a an exceptional linebacker for the St. Louis Cardinals of the NFL, the St. Louis version of the football Cardinals, obviously now domiciled in, in Arizona and uh, previously domiciled as we had with uh, in our conversation with Joe Ziemba a number of years back about in Chicago, the Chicago Cardinals. Uh, well, by the 1960s, they were in St. Louis. And 
ostensibly that was sort of the reason uh, for reaching out uh, to Dave to have a conversation because we really haven't talked about the St. Louis version of the, of the Cardinals, you know, Bush Stadium and that really hard turf and, um, you know, uh, some some interesting years uh, moving, having moved from Chicago, uh, largely mediocrity, I would argue, uh, the St. Louis version of the Cardinals were, um, et cetera. But, you know, when you further understand the uh, the much deeper story of Dave Megacy, uh, it is intriguing to no end. And you uh, football historians may know then uh, of Dave's uh, legacy for not only his play on the on the field, but frankly, uh, the uh, just the the bombshell of a book. Uh, that he produced in 1970 called Out of Their League that really shook up the NFL and uh, he went from which he abruptly left uh, the NFL and the Cardinals. He essentially walked away uh, from a very promising and very successful football uh, career in the NFL uh, because he was an outspoken cat. Um, you, you call him a free spirit. You want to call him the thinking man's player. Um he, he was that then, and he still is now, and that's why you're going to find this conversation just extraordinarily interesting, as I did. Um, the book called Out of Their League uh, is uh, another, frankly, in uh, sort of the top sports books of all time. And we had the uh, uh, the pleasure of talking to Pat Jordan, the author of, uh, of one of those other ones, A False Spring, completely di- a different set of cir- circumstances and topic. Uh, but when this book, Out of Their League, came out in 1970, it was... Uh, literally and figuratively, I guess, a, a bombshell, a groundbreaking book uh, on the realities of professional football. It was essentially the first of its kind um, to really kind of deal with sort of the serious hardcore issues um, that are frankly still around today in today's NFL and professional football racket, uh, if you will. Some startup leagues that you know continue to sort of press on and continue uh, the, the sort of issues that still plague professional football, and frankly, more broadly, prof- uh, professional sports and sports generally. Um, racism, for sure. A lot of sort of comparisons uh, of Dave's uh, story and plight to uh, that of Colin Kaepernick and uh, and some of the other uh, still very uh, uh, evident issues uh, about racism in sports of, uh, of all kinds. Uh, militarism and, and, and the, the uh, uh, you know, uh, the uh, the corrosion, I guess, of of uh, of thinking uh, as it relates to football, it being obviously a very gridiron based and uh, three yards and a cloud of dust and and very militarily uh, sort of oriented kind of dynamic and stuff, and and the health of that uh, sort of dynamic, uh, injuries, uh, uh, you know, playing through pain and and, and the like, uh, uh, frankly, uh, things that are still playing out today with uh, CTE. Um, which a whole generation or two, frankly, of, of players uh, are, are now dealing with, with the violence of the sport. Um, drug use, uh, both recreationally, if you will, as well as the use of painkillers uh, to kind of deaden and, and prolong one's career, um, perhaps to the detriment of one's body. I mean, the, all these issues and more were, were sort of part of, uh, the, this was the first time they were really sort of publicly um, uh, delineated and focused in, in book form. Um uh, there's a great uh, clip there on YouTube uh, uh, from uh, the Dick Cavett show uh, that Dave was on, featuring none other than Gloria Swanson and Janis Joplin uh, on the guest couch there uh, from August 3rd, 1970. Uh, you'll hear a, a clip of that in uh, in the middle of our conversation later on with Dave. Um, but it's worth a find on YouTube because um, you really get a sense uh, of sort of Dave's 
uh, consciousness, shall we say, of all these issues. Uh, that, of course, around the backdrop of the late 1960s, which was just gigantically chaotic uh, in this country's history what, what, with the Vietnam War and, and civil rights and, and all, all kinds of stuff, right? 1968, a powder keg of a year and assassinations. And I mean, you know, th these are sort of things that have really never healed and, and have just, you know, in many respects have still festered for many years. You know, Dave was hip to all that stuff. And, um, you know, this is a story of a guy who, you know, is part of the football machinery and, and doing pretty damn well with it, by the way but just couldn't let his conscience sort of uh, uh, let it lie there and uh, kind of spoke out and saw things that uh, he felt needed to be said uh, and, you know, effectively paid the price for it. I, I think consciously, by the way, uh, in his professional career. But this, I just, this is setting the tone because it's, it's so much more complex and interesting and, and frankly, um, revelatory because uh, the more you hear our conversation with Dave Megacy coming up in a few minutes, the more you will recognize that the issues that we're talking about from then are still very pronounced, just in different forms today, and that's why I think you're going to enjoy this uh, this chat uh, to no end. Our conversation uh, with the former St. Louis football NFL uh, linebacker extraordinaire, and shall we call him the thinking man's uh, player and um, uh, football conscience, shall we say? Uh, Dave Megacy, uh, the author of the seminal book from 1970, Out of Their League, coming up in a few moments' time. Thank you for uh, sticking around for that. You're going to enjoy it. And uh, let's uh, say a quick thanks to one of our great sponsors this week. How about Retro, excuse me, Royal Retros? I got to get this new name straight. It's not new to them, but to me, it's still, <laughs> I know them as 503 Sports, which is now a sub-brand, but RoyalRetros.com, RoyalRetros.com. Our pal Dustin Alameda in Portland, Oregon, the king of throwbacks. Five oh three sports is their sub brand. It's uh, it's their sort of uh, uh, unique uh, labeling for all kinds of great, not only shirts but custom made jerseys from all kinds of teams and leagues of the past. Uh, I uh, encourage you to try them out at RoyalRetros.com, and uh, you're going to find all kinds of great leagues and teams memorialized in one of a kind. Uh, custom made. You put your name on the back of them, the numbers and stuff. Those jerseys are works of art and they're uh, worth checking out. They're worth buying in volume. And of course, when you do so, you want to check out uh, uh, adding uh, to your checkout the code, the promo code for you there, uh, SEATS, S-E-A-T-S, SEATS, promo code at royalretros.com. Again, promo code SEATS for 10% off all of your purchases. It's the king of throwbacks, royalretros.com. Thank you, Dustin and friends, for your continued sponsorship of the show. All right, let's get into it. It's a fascinating, a really intriguing discussion. Uh, we were honored to have a great uh, discussion uh, just a couple of weeks back with the, uh, the great Dave Megacy. Please sit down, buckle up, and uh, please enjoy You had a, uh, uh, a what a seven year or eight year career with one team, the St. Louis Cardinals of the 1960s. How did you get to the Cardinals in the first place? You played college in Syracuse, right? I did. I I, I went to a small school in Ohio called Solon High School, and um, I had 52 kids in in the in the class, and um, and there were. Uh, high school players 
uh, uh, I can tell the names, Roger, Roger Davis and uh, Mark Weber, and went to Syracuse. And Ben Schwartzwalder was the coach, and they were. It was a really good team. And um, so I was the third from my high school to go to Syracuse. And um, back then we had uh, 27 uh, rookies or freshmen uh, on the team. And so uh, basically, uh, and then my freshman year, we were national champions in 1959 and beat uh, Texas in the, in the national championship game. And, um, and so as a sophomore, I was a starter. I was actually a pretty good player. And so what I say is I was, uh, I was uh, a starter at, at the, uh, on a national champion team, Syracuse University. And then we, um, uh, Mike Ditka, actually, uh, uh, he was uh, played at Pittsburgh and uh, at Pittsburgh beat us. And, uh, so, uh, and so anyhow, uh, um, you know, I played pretty well and then I was drafted, uh, on the 17th round, um, and, uh, by the, uh, St. Louis Cardinals and men, uh, and at that time they would ra- they draft ed- draft anybody really <laughs> who could play. Oh, now don't sell yourself too short. <laughs> so so uh, you know so basically that's what happened. I was drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals, and you know I went there. I wanted I wanted to go on to see you know you know what what, what it would uh, would be to to be uh, in the NFL and all that kind of thing. And I, I was not a big rabid football uh, uh, player as such, because I was into other, other things, you know, my academics and social stuff and da, 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 all the stuff that was going on. And, and back then things were starting to emerge in civil rights and uh, definitely. And uh, then, then uh, a little a little uh, down the line uh, when the anti-Vietnam or Vietnam War started and uh, and I got involved with, with, with the anti-war movement which I was doing as a player at the St. Louis Cardinals. So I was um, uh, for me I had seven years and then I I let I quit basically and uh, um, there's a whole story about how I was uh, basically benched because of my anti-war activities. I had uh, 34 of my fellow players, the Cardinals, to sign a letter uh, uh, telling the our congressional delegation to stop the. Vietnam, Vietnam, Vietnam War, you know, and back then, I mean, there were a lot of young guys just my age were being killed. I mean, 50,000 people, guys who were killed in that war, by the way, U.S. 
Yeah, and, and the conscious the consciousness of that around that time. I'm actually watching the yeah. the four part uh, CNN documentary on LBJ uh, as we record sure. this, and you know the, the the tides. You know, it's it's the history is fairly well known now, but the tide was certainly changing, and especially at, at the younger the younger levels, the collegiate level as well. Oh, at, at levels, it was where, amazing. Yeah, they were yeah, sort of exactly. on more to the dynamic. I think more than the sort of established status quo. Well, yeah. you know, we we called it the movement basically, and a lot of people who jumped in. Of course, at Kent State, and four people were were murdered basically, you know, by the by the military, and Martin Luther King was assassinated, you know, and so at that, what I have said many times, 1968 was a big pivotal year in the country and certainly in myself as well. And, uh, as being just one of those younger people, you know, I was 26 years old, a little older, but there were a lot of, uh, you know, kids or us were in, you know, many, uh, uh, student newspapers and, uh, you know, the anti Vietnam war movement was huge. And LBJ, basically, he has said that that the movement basically forced him to leave. And uh, because uh, he he realized that 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 uh, people didn't want to be involved with this war anymore. And uh, and it was driven by a lot of uh, students and younger people. Worldwide, not only just in the United States, but in Europe, uh, definitely. People have to look at it when you really look at the history. Well, let, let me let's step back for a second because there's a lot to unpack there. In part- so I want to particularly yes, there is. <laughs> no, this is great, no, I, but I want to get into your frame of mind, right? So, the fact that you're going to college into the pros, at least you had probably some semblance. I, I doubt it was a surprise on draft day that you had something enough to take it to the next level to the NFL, right? I, I had no idea. Frankly, I, I was living in married student housing. It was a Quonset cup hut with my wife and my new baby. And, and, and I get this call at, you know, literally two in the morning, this guy is named Chuck Drulis. And who are you? you? And, and, um, he basically said, we drafted you. I said, who, who the hell are you? Number one. And he said, St. Louis. I said, what, what the hell, what is, where is St. Louis? (laughs) You know, I didn't know anything about. Well, and look, it's also, it's also, remember remember too, this is, I think what, this is only the third year that the the Cardinals. Exactly. They they moved from uh, Chicago down to uh, St. Louis. You know, I said, who the hell are, you know, and I, and I watched uh, in high school, uh, some NFL games and, uh, but I didn't know who the hell St. Louis Cardinals, who are they? kind of thing is it is a team or something new to new team or something <laughs> so anyway so he said well you draft uh, you're drafted and i said okay and so we uh we we communicated and then i went went out to the west uh, east west shrine game in san francisco and we went to um st louis 
And I basically, that's what happened. I, uh, uh, Chuck pushed me on to, okay, you have to, you need a contract. And so I said, okay. And, uh, um, so I signed a contract. I went to say to, uh, San Francisco and went to the, the game as a player had a good game. And my wife finally said, you were so dumb about, uh, uh signing before the game because you had a really great game. You should have signed afterwards. <laughs> so, you could have bought, you could have made, uh, got more money. So, so she was a lot smarter things, uh, than, than me. So, so, so basically that's what happened. And then, uh, we went to, I went to training camp and, uh, in your hometown now and like forest and, uh, where the Bidwell's, uh, stormy Bidwell, had a house and uh, we went to uh, Lake Forest College where our training camp was. So uh, that's how they, so it's a nice little piece of synchronicity that you and I are talking. So, so uh, let's, uh, before we get into the, the other part of it, I'm just curious as to sort of the, uh, the state of play. Um, how did you enjoy your time? Uh, you uh, started uh, in your the latter years. You had some, some fairly decent teams, including, uh, here's an interesting uh, uh, historical asterisk, a 1964 season where you uh, won mm-hmm. the playoff bowl, the Burt Bell playoff bowl, which was a thing back then, was essentially third place for the two losing exactly. teams in the if the, in the semis stayed to the, to the we, NFL we, we beat uh, Green Bay. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. Uh, what was that like? I mean, you're playing in uh, the, uh, the on the fuzzy concrete there of uh, – uh, of Bush Stadium there. Bush, uh, Bush, exactly. How did you enjoy being a with, uh, with green dye? Yeah, how did you enjoy, and I, I, I think I can sort of get a sense of this, being literally in the middle of the country, so to speak, where I would imagine it was a little I, bit more I wouldn't much. say, so, well, there's so much about that. You know what I mean? As an athlete, you want to get, you know, you have to succeed, you know what I mean? And to, and, and to so... I was I was a college lineman. I was light. I, I when I finished, I was two uh, fifteen. And when I went into the pros, you know, the Cardinals, I think it was my first year was like two seventeen. So I, w- I was light then, but but uh, not not so light because there were a lot. The, our linebackers were about you know two twenty ish kind of thing. And of course, I'm much bigger now. And I had speed and quickness, and I was strong. I could really hit. And uh, so uh, uh, I made the team uh, on my ability to be uh, fast, quickness, and I could hit. And so I did. I was a very good special teams player my first two years, and uh, more or less. And then I there were the veteran guys were leaving and then I was coming in to play, uh, uh, more, uh, uh, I had this stroke thing happen. So anyhow, scrimmage. Yeah. So, so, um, yeah. And, and, uh, and then I was good. And, and, uh, so, uh, and then I started my, five years and I was a starter and uh, I was a pretty good player. 
and and so uh basically that's what had happened and and then in the off season I was doing a lot of other stuff working in the medical stuff I wanted to be a, a doctor um and then I got into all anti-war with uh, the civil rights movement and you, the you were anti going to Hugh, right too and I was going to uh, school at uh, sociology at uh, Washington University. And so I was doing that. So I was just doing, you know, stuff that back then we had a, an off season and then we, we, you know, had a in season kind of thing. So, so it's not like anymore guys have to basically kind of be in shape and keep it going uh, year round. But back then uh, it was, it was a, you know, different situation. Well, so, but, but I also think back Jack, then, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I'm wondering, uh, it, I can't, it, it seems to me that you're already evidencing a multidimensional uh, uh, approach to life. Yeah, I no, I, I realized uh, I, 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 I was not a big, uh, I really was a good, good football player, but football was not my life. I, I realized I wanted to get on to other stuff. I didn't know what to do. But, you know, and the money was good. And so I went to grad school, you know, I did this, I did that, you know, and, and worked at different places, different uh, situations and, and uh, in the off season. So, you know, it was, I was, you know, I realized many guys realized too, we didn't have, there was not a lot of money then. And so, uh, you know, I, I used to say uh, when I, at the, uh, just before training camp, we're broke. I'm broke. My family's broke. I have no money. And so I have to make the team and, you know, get paid. So, and back then, you know, we had six, uh, they call it exhibition games, pay, play, paying, play, paying us $50 a game, $50. Wow. And I remember our, when I, not four, six, for six, yeah, preseason games, exhibition, they call it exhibition games, you know, and then we'd go to different places like Richmond, Virginia, I remember going over there or in Knoxville, and we went to Knoxville or someplace, you know, Charlotte. it'd be all these, these, yeah, it, and, and then we played uh, in Baton Rouge, and Jerry Stovall was in my class, and he was a Heisman winner, and there were 72,000 people at LSU and all are sitting on the line and it's sw- sw- hotter than hell. Even, even it was in the evening and all of us looking at, we're, we're getting paid $50, you know, for this game. And we're, you know, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> was that your first enlightenment or just one of many? Well, you know, but it was, you know, the enlightenment people realize, you know, because back then, you know, the, the ad that my view was I could, I could play for free and many, and many players, athletes want to do it for free quote. Cause that's what you want to do. Cause that's what you're into, you know? So the money was not a, a big issue, but when you get older, when you got a little bit older to figure out, like, okay, what is going on here? When you figured out stuff, you know, what is, who are these owners? What is this? What is this neo slavery 
with the players. There was no free agency. You know, they, they grabbed you and grafted you and you stay there until you leave. I'd say, if you want to be free, go to Canada. You know, they had you by the balls as they would, <laughs> as he said. Okay. And, and our contracts were always, if you, if you played out your contract, you took a 10% cut of the last year of the contract. So that was a disincentive for any player to, uh, to free, free Pat Fisher did it. And then he went from the Cardinals to the Redskins. Good player. And a few, and so when you look at the history of the struggle of the players, you know, and there's a history about that, about how we had to go through the process of of winning the war, basically, in 1993. And I was involved with that because I was a union guy. I was the Western director of the NFLPA. So when we won the war in 1993, so... And the baseball players, guys had to do it, the NBA. So, you know, so, so that's what happened basically. So, so that the, in the situation, and of course the college kids now, finally it got opened up the last two years where guys can actually move. Right. Yeah, I, so I, 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 part of preparation for this conversation, uh, I of course dutifully went to, uh, your appearance on uh, the Dick Cavett show in 1970, just before uh, your book Out of Their League came out. And <laughs> that was <a> trip. <laughs> you, you had a little bit more hair then, let's put it that way. And exactly. among other thing. things, yeah. But I, I was, um, I, I wasn't surprised, but I, it was still hard not to be stunned by just how clairvoyant you were 52 years back around lots of different issues, including what you just brought up, that of, of the... The NCAA and, and and name and image and likeness finally getting quote unquote. Oh, exactly, finally, finally, and they, and they they had them by the balls. When you were at Syracuse, now that's a good college for, or obviously for football because of all the guys that have come out of it. Yeah, outlaw school. <laughs> uh, what? It's an outlaw school. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, well, there are certain schools that that make make uh, pretenses of of uh, their ball players having. Academic credentials, and Syracuse isn't one of them. Uh, it's not. The function up there is, is you go there to play football, and it was really interesting because you know if you contrast like a Ben Schwartzwalder versus a Bud Wilkinson, Wilkinson is going to teach you all these values. He's going to say, look at you know you've got to be a, a humble, contrite, polite, uh, clean cut the whole trip, you know, and stay out of bars and away from loose women. But uh, Schwartzwalder, you know, if you if you produced, uh, you could do any damn thing you pleased. And which of those guys is right? Well, uh, I think that uh, given the nature of football, I think Schwarzwalder is, and given the nature of what college football does to the individual players, one of the most interesting, one of the most exploited minorities in the country, you know, are college football players. You know, they get paid approximately oh, 25 well, cents an hour. a few others. Yeah, yeah well, no, I'm, no, obviously true, Dennis, but I'm just saying is that a guy earns, you say, uh, you know, the argument is, is that uh, we're giving these guys a college education. All right, out of my class at Syracuse, one guy graduated. Okay, you know. <laughs> out of your <laughs> that kind of trade among the football players. Yeah, other football players. Out of my class, one guy graduated. Do they know. really do all their class work? Well, 
Do they? How can I, say I had a brother. I had a brother once who, uh, who he was a hell of a football player. My brother Dennis, mm-hmm. and he needed uh, needed some some grades. So he signed up for these courses in summer school, and he went back to Cleveland and worked, and came back, and he had him in six units of A's. So I mean, that's the kind of wait a minute. What was what was wrong? Somebody with him? else took the glass. Well, no, they just filled him in on the records. You know, oh, I see. Right, keep him eligible. Mm-hmm. You have to maintain your eligibility, which is a C average for approximately 15 hours at Syracuse. So, you know, this is, you know, in one sense, you know, the reason for the book is to really talk about uh, this reality. I think most, most people who really dig football uh, uh, think it's uh, pure American, uh, young Americans out there doing their thing and, and reflects all these positive values of society. And on the contrary, I think it, I think it reflects more the values that, that we want to de-emphasize. And I say we of, you know, the counterculture as Rozak has defined people, uh, people of the movement and so on. You know, I'd say, you know, you talk about, you know, slavery, what? <laughs> if you want to play, no. I mean, there's, there's, there's no money, you know, there's no, there was no money. No real money. I mean, they, 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 you know, and I'd say, you know, your, your college, uh, uh, you know, scholarship is just, it's, it's a wash basically. If you had a two, th- if two, if two, uh, you, you had twenty thousand students, and you had an extra fifty football players, is that going to make a big difference for the administration? Do they have to hire uh, newer, uh, uh, more professors and people like that? No. It basically it's so the so the the money making entity in say Ohio State is the athletic department and particularly the most, the, the revenue sports, football and basketball. Okay. That's fun. That are fun. That are funding, you know, the, uh, the situation. So, so it's, you know, it, so when you really look at what's going on a little bit more, you know, that's what's, that's what you see. And now we're finally broken it all because of the, 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 uh, uh, court decisions that has allowed the college kids to basically have some money or something, you know, why are there, why are uh, uh, 17 year old tennis players? They're not uh, get paid are getting paid and football players and basketball players can't do that. You know, for example. Well, look, you're also you also I mean, you're the you mentioned it before you're tapping in in into not just the collegiate thing and the pro thing, but also once players got to the pro leagues, pro league, at least there was, you know, there is that sort of feeling of, you know, I just want to play. Right. And and exactly. No, really, it's really true. It's, yeah, fast, it's really true. Today, you know, right? You've got all it's, these. It's, all, it's, all it's, a, you know, it's almost like a spiritual or psychological kind of man. I, I and and you want to and you and if you're good, you you want to play because you want to play with the best. But it does sound like, though, that 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 uh, no. is ripe for being taken advantage of, and 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 oh, still, totally, it you got it, absolutely coming up right in the spring or the XFL again. Right. I mean, these are not going to be great wages or great promises of stardom or, or, or payment, so to speak. Right. But in some respects, it almost takes advantage of players who want that one last shot 
right? Even though they know, or frankly, or just don't to know do it. You know what I mean? For me, you know, at, at Syracuse, because I did, I was doing other things. You know, I was getting, uh, yeah. Then I said, well, what do I want to do? I don't know. I don't really know, but but it would be nice to do a shot at the NFL, you know, and uh, to to take it to the next next level, you know, to really see, am I good enough kind of thing, you know, and, you know, am I a good player, you know, that kind of thing. And when I went to the Shrine game, we had a lot of, you know, college kids too, Kermit Alexander, for example, and he was a colleague of mine with the union, you know, um, he was a great player. So there were, so those all-star games, when you start rubbing your shoulders with fellow college guys, they're just guys, you know, and and all of us wanted to jump to the higher level to see how good, you know, we want to play, you know, that kind of thing. It's like playing the piano, <laughs> right? Yeah, and I think though that you also had, a- you know, or musician, and you know, you want to get better and better. You know what I mean? Or a writer. You know, you, you, that's what you want to do. That's your creative stuff, and that's what you want to do. You just and you just want to, you know, how you take it as far as you, you can. You know, or you want to. You know what I mean? So you're aware, and, and I have to go ahead. Go ahead. No, your your awareness, right, of of that issue for one, but was, was sort of met with a whole bunch of other things too. It's almost like you came to some kind of some level of consciousness as your playing years in the NFL sort of played out. I mean, I go back again to that Dick Cavett interview and, you know, you bring up issues that, that are still as raw and unsolved as they were in 1970 when you were on the show, you know, racism, injuries and the pain and, 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 and uh, you fast forward to things like CTE, which is only now becoming, more fully understood exactly the um yep. and of course the you know uh the glorification of violence right and and absolutely i call it our you know our footballs are our american war game i mean that's what it is so mix know, mix that's so. mix that stuff up with your consciousness and your activism let's call it that around what was going on societally with the war effort and and the distaste for it um, I got to right. think you had a lot you had a lot to think about and or deal with to kind of continue in good conscience to continue to play in the NFL without sort of, I don't know, conscientiously objecting, so to speak. Well, you know, I think in life, I don't, I don't, I don't know, so, Tim, sometimes it's when you think about it. I mean, when you look back, you could say, well, I did or did it with that or that kind of thing. But situations present are, are, are present itself, you know, itself, you know, kind of thing. So I was not, um, not that conflicted. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. I thought it was right to do this versus that. Do, Do you see what I'm saying? And, and so when, when I put together the petition for my fellow team uh, teammates, the Cardinal uh, teammates, you know, the letter that I sent to the congressional de- delegation in, in Missouri uh, saying, you know, we, we need to stop this, this Vietnam war. And, 
and that was part of the anti-war movement. The the move the often uh, anti-war movement office was in my house. You know, I had made a little money. We had a bigger house, and so I put the the office in the third floor of my house. And so, but I I didn't see it as any big deal. You know what I mean? We were all in the movement. We were doing it to try and, you know, make a change in a positive way because we realized, and, and I had guys coming through the, 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 they would back then we called the, the Dodge, uh, the, uh, draft Dodgers, you know, to go into Canada. They used to, a couple of guys came through to my house on their way to Canada, you know, uh, Dr. Spock was involved with that. And, and I met Spock and he sat at my living room, you know, and he was part of the anti-war movement because a lot of the kids, you know, or young people, they wanted to, they didn't want to, you know, get drafted and go to Vietnam and get killed. No, I wanted, they wanted to go to Canada. And so um, Muhammad Ali, for example, <laughs> okay. <laughs> So during that time, that was happening, you know, and then, of course, Ali, you know, you know, his story. So and, and it costed him, it cost him a big chunk, you know. So so that's what was going on at the times when you have to really, we have to really look at the history of our time. Our biographies are all, our biographies are always set into the historical times uh, that are happening. How, you did know? You, how did your teammates, your coaches, the team uh, management, the league sort of take to this uh, thinking? Because you had to think, at least in the back of your head, that speaking out well, on all right, I'll tell you what happened. So I, I, I was involved. And so my my coach, Chuck Drewlers, Drewlis, that I mentioned before, yeah, Dave, you got to come out to my house. So it was like, you know, 10 at night. So I drive out to his house and he said, look, I'm going to tell you something. You know, if you, if you don't cease the anti-war activities that you're doing, you will be cut. I said, what? I said, look, this, this is my this is my stuff. It's nothing about football. He said, no. He said, I just called, I just talked to Stormy Bidwell, the owner of the team. And he said, Stormy went to, or talked to, to Chuck, of course. And Chuck, you know, he's the messenger saying, Megacy, you're, out of here unless you stop doing this anti-war stuff. So I had what happened. I talked to my advisor, Irving Lewis Horowitz, who was a sociologist and I, and we were friends, friends. And I said, what the hell is going on? And, and, and Irving was an amazing guy. He was a, a street kid from new, uh, new York city and tougher, tougher than nails. And he said, we're going to deal with this. So I wrote a letter and I sent it basically to the ownership of the Cardinals to say, 
bottom line, if you're going to fuck with me, I'm going to fuck with you. Because the context was so many young people were against the war and the Cardinals did not want to involved with me as I went anti-war person and, and have a big publish public thing happen. And so they basically to stepped back and then they got me the next year, basically. Cause I continued, I just got, that's when I did the letters, my letter. And they finally said, okay, you're out of here. So, so basically, but I wasn't doing it for any reason than just doing it. Cause that's what we were doing at then. Do you see what I'm saying? And when I had 34 guys, my teammates signed the letter. This was, this was not just two guys. This was a team. I think at that, uh, I think we were seven. Uh, I think we had like, you know, maybe 40 uh, players on the teams on the team, including a cab, uh, cab squad. So it wasn't that, you know, that I was in such huge exception you know, the, I, went, I went to every guy's house, a uh, room in in in, uh, in Lake Forest. I went around and said, "Here's my, here's the letter. You guys want to, uh, do you want to sign it?" Uh, they read it. Hell yeah, I'll write it. I'll I'll sign it. Because they were just like me. A lot of the guys knew what what is you know fellow, you know people, were made me friends who were in fucking Vietnam. Did, did any of the teammates you know face, I mean? did any of the other teammates face any retribution as well for signing? No, 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 no. I, I, I told him. I said, look, it's nothing about it's not. It, what happened is, I said, look, this is not going to be public, okay? Private. And then the one of the guys, the a citizen, basically, he got wind of it. And Joe, what's his name? He was the publishing guy. And this is a whole story. And he got a hold of the letter. I don't know how it happened. And, and so Stormy did Bill. I'm literally in my football togs going to play, uh, to practice. Stormy is screaming at me. You go right now, go to this office of this guy and get that letter. Because Joe Pollock, who is a publishing guy, sent this out to, or, or sent it uh, to Stormy initially. Okay? Because this guy wanted to make it public. And I told the guys, it's, about, it's, it's not about publish, publishing, publicity. I mean, it's going to be done privately. Okay. So literally I went to, had to get out of the, the locker room, got in a cab. Okay. Took my shoulder pads off. I'm, I'm my pants and all the rest. And, and I'm still in foot, football togs. Went over to the thing, got the letter, came back. And I told to Joe, I said, look, you know, I got the letter. 
And so Stormy was happy that, you know, because it would be an embarrassment for the Cardinal organization. Okay. Oh, wow. Look, 34 Cardinal players, you know, are anti-war guys to sending a letter. What? So, so, uh, so, uh, Two week day, two week later, <laughs> two weeks later, I'm benched. Okay, that's how it happened. And so, uh, and I was really pissed because I was a really good player, and you know, cost me some money, you know, because the bonus thing, because of the num- number of plays and all that kind of stuff, the rigging the, the the contract. So, so I was. I was, it, it was devastating because as you're an athlete, it's all about doing what you're, what you want to do as an athlete, anti-war stuff. So you imagine so many about black athletes getting screwed be just because they're black. Okay. And I can give you the sociological stuff because I did all the study in Canton, Ohio. I went to the, the Hall of Fame and I did, I pulled out for three days the pictures and everything and the names, every player for the fa- the previous, you know, 20 years. And you could see how many black players on, on every team, except for Washington, which was the racist, which is, was, you know, there were the, the 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 racist teams, and then Ernie Davis, my teammate at Syracuse, was drafted. And then, of course, there were there was a trade uh, for Ernie to come to Cleveland, and Bobby Mitchell went to Washington. He was the first black player in Washington Redskin history. Okay, and then of course Ernie died. You know, with with the Hodgkin stuff. So that was that story too. So, so when I pulled, cause I was, I was a sociology graduate student. So I pulled all the information and I put it all together and I sent it to Jack Olson who did the five or six part uh, thing about racism in the NFL, you know? And, and uh, I gave him all that information. I said, take a look at it. This is, this is what's going on, you know? So every team had a quota. Literally, it was like a graft. It was a graft. Was one, then two, then three, and three, and I think there were like ten. You know, every team. It was. It was almost. Is this coincidental? What? So, so when you see this, and then you know, and and of course, when you're in the middle of you know the the movement and seeing what's going on, and you of course you have some. Uh, sense of the the civil rights movement. What the fuck is going on? And and see my uh, teammates, you know, who are black, being cut because they're black and better players. Yeah, I mean the parallels of your of your pro career and that of from a civil rights perspective as well as the war, yes, it was anti war. Yeah, Ed McQuarters, who was this incredible player, University of Oklahoma. He was a kick-ass motherfucker, you know, but he didn't take any shit from the the, the coaches. And then they finally, they finally cut him and he went to Canada for, you know, whatever, 12 years or something. You know what I mean? It was crazy. 
and I like I got to know him a little bit, you know, and I and it, it was, we didn't talk that much. We were just talking. He was a, I, I really liked him because he was a hell of a good player, and he was a kick-ass guy. I, I he and I played similar uh, in a similar way, kind of thing. We were hitters, and we had speed and quickness, and and so I liked him a lot, you know. And and when and he when he spoke, I said, "Oh wow, this is he's a dude, this guy," you know. So, uh, and then they, and they, and they bent and then they cut him and he had to go to Canada and how many really good black players had to leave the Canada or just, just leave the NFL or, or professional football, you know? So that was another part of it. Well, and, and, well. You, and you throw in, you throw in the, the draft of the war too, right? I mean, this is double reasons right uh, strange fuck yeah how many guys were you know black guys were drafted you know no there you go vietnam on your way boy <laughs> no. all right what's this linkedin jobs hey These days, it can be hard to find and hire the right candidates for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs made it easier to find the people that you want to talk to faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. My goodness. Focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience and use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified. Then use the simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus the leading competitors. Yes, that's, it's no surprise, friends, that LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates that you want to talk to faster. Of course. Well, did you know that every week that nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Come on. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash good seats. That's linkedin.com slash good seats to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And now back to our conversation. Then, then to after after being unceremoniously uh, cut, t- t- take me to 1970 and and the idea around this book, which it's interesting uh, when it came out and why it came out. Right, um, it was also around the time that uh, at least on baseball, you had two other pretty sizably uh, notable books: uh, "A False Spring" by our guest uh, uh, just last week, Pat Jordan. About his uh, sort of travails as a as a minor league uh, a player with the Milwaukee Braves, but of course, foul ball by Jim Bouton, which was more of a, I guess, baseball version of, of somewhat of an expert. I call it the, the kiss and tell book, but but my book was really the first book that really talked about the larger issues in society and sports organizations and the NFL and. And when you leave, even with the major league uh, baseball, I mean, they had a big, the big struggle happened in the 1890s, and then they they clumped it down, they clumped it down, uh, clamped it down, and then it didn't. Was in the when it was when what happened with uh, you know I'm talking to 
the the guy, the late uh, um, union guy, what's his name? Donald Fear. Oh no, uh, no, 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 no. Before he was the guy, basically drew drove. Oh, Kurt, Kurt Flood. No, no, no. Well, a flood did it, but then it was the union guy who put together the organization to basically and uh to uh to win these the lawsuit okay that opened up uh, free agency and huh marvin miller yeah marvin miller yeah all marvin, three by the way marvin. very important in the, in the entire in the entirety of that but, but at least i got to him yeah no it's it's a hell of a book and uh this guy chuck gore core i don't know if you know about his book write it down chuck core he did the history of the uh of the major league players association and and uh he was a historian he's based in uh, st louis actually and got i've known him for a long time and uh did a, a really beautiful book wonderful book and because uh, he he was able to go into the files with uh, Marvin Miller files and go pull out all the information about what happened during that time when they they when they, they won their particular war. So so that's what happened. Tell me about the book, though. I I I, I you got a lot to pack into this this story to, in this in this book. And what's motivating you to? We, get we could this? talk a long time. <laughs> well, no. But what, what, what's motivating you to get this story out? And and what do you think? What did you think the reaction would be once it was published? I think for me, uh, there's probably one of the things that kind of that I emerged from my brain was. You may have remembered at the university, uh, Columbia University, when the football players were beating up the students. Uh, it was maybe 1968, 69, something like that. And and my view was, why shouldn't the football players, the pro pro athletes, why should why why is why aren't we be involved with the uh, anti-war movement Vietnam war you know because of my also my 34 guys teammates who basically signed a letter so to me it was like why are the athletes be are not involved with the the movement, okay, and we call it then. The, the, we call it then the, the movement. And so I I decided what I wanted to do in writing out of their league was to pull myself and professional athletes into the movement, so to speak. That was one of the rationalizations in my brain, thinking, you know. This is what happened to me personally when I was benched. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, when I, rem- when I remembered being benched and given no reason, and I, 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 was devast- I was devastated. It's something that you believe like every, you know, the, the best player should play, right? 
and when you say when you see that kind of like that it's almost like a moral thing you know and because athleticism and athletics is about the better player team will win that's bottom line that's what it's about okay that's what athletics is that's what competition is and when that's fucked with okay it's devastating it's devastating because you're putting yourself on the line all the time at that level of an athlete uh, an elite athlete you know that's devastating when you're fucked with. Yeah, it's dehumanizing. So I, I got I got fucked with, so to speak. And I was so angry. So the other part of the motivation, I was so angry, I'm gonna I'm gonna nail those son of a bitches. I didn't maybe articulate it so well, but I said I'm gonna nail them. I'm gonna nail those son of a bitches. This is wrong. This is fucking wrong. You know, so that was the motivation. And being part of the movement was secondary. But bottom line, I'm just talking to you, it was wrong. And because everything about uh, being an athlete is being pissed on. Okay? It's being pissed on just by somebody else. So that's that's if, that's the bottom line. So the the energy to put the book together was coming from there. It was wrong. It's not, unf it's, it's unfair. And the, the movement was part of it. And, and I wanted to be involved because when, when, when you saw the, you know, guys coming, coming from the body bags coming from Vietnam to us, you know, what is going on? What is going on? You know, you see what I'm saying? And back then, you know, we're, I'm, I'm you know, 27 years old. Okay. So, so basically the, 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 the primary motivation was to really lay it out. What is going on? As I, my view, of course it, personally and sociologically and politically and but the 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 core of it was the the beyond unfairness of it because at that at that athletes even when you're a school kid Who's the who's the who's the top kid? <laughs> you know the second kid. Da, 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 you know that kind of thing. But that's human stuff. This is the the, the profound human stuff. Okay, and and when when it's when it's sullied and compromised, uh, that pissed me off. <laughs> Bottom line. <laughs> Okay, I'm, I'm ranting. I'm, I'm ranting no, no, at you now. But I'm this. just telling you that's yeah. that was that was the motive, motive, uh, the motive, the motivation. What, what did you expect 
the response to to be? Because you know, you I didn't. Frankly, I did not have a a, a clue, a give a shit, or whatever. I just wanted to lay it out and lay it out. Period. And what was the reaction? Oh, the shit hit the hit the fan. This was the first book of a, a professional athlete. And people say, well, I'm comparing it, comparing it to Jim Bowden's book, Ball Four. No, very different book. You know, Bowden put a toe in the water. I jumped into the lake. Okay. Because I laid it out. Because I knew... I was educated about it, you know, everything from the political, sociological. I did the I did the research, so to speak, you know, and I had a personal stake in the in in the story. Of course, I was I was I was the the stake. <laughs> so so it it really was the first book that happened, and and that's why S uh, Sports Illustrated nailed the, the book. You know, I think it's the, the number sixty-three, the the one hundred best sports books ever written, and uh, fifteen years ago or twelve years ago, something like that. So, so you know, and it was no, it was not a big deal. What I'm trying to say, I didn't do anything for the reason. I just did it. You know what I mean? How about though, you professionally and personally? In terms of your relationships and your yeah, it opportunities, didn't, didn't mean it didn't mean a damn thing to me. I, you know, the next step. You know what I mean? The next step was I, I did that. I did all the publicity stuff, and and then I did uh, about 125 college lectures uh, around the the country. I did a lot of media stuff, and then the paper the paper book uh, paper library paper book. Uh, and the uh, soft color uh, cover, you know, I did another round and, and in doing the speeches, I made a little money. And then I, I went to Colorado with my family and I lived in the mountains for three years in uh, near uh, Durango, Colorado. So that's what I did, you know, cause I was finished. I, I knew I, I was finished with the football story. So I went to uh, uh, to uh, a place called place a place called Mayday, Colorado. It's about 15 miles from uh, Durango in the mountains and uh, La, you know, La, La Plata Mountains, and I lived there for three uh, three years with my family, and and then I had to go. I was out of, out of no money, <laughs> so I had to go go to go to work. So. I went back to the Bay Area and started uh, doing put together construction, and uh, I became a, car, uh, a carpenter, and I did that for two years or three years, three and a half years in uh, in Marin County, and uh, I, we built six houses and Pelican Inn and a bunch of other things, and then. Um, um, I got then I I, I did a, a one year as a football coach at uh, at the high school in uh, Marin County Tamalpais High School, and um, the media knew about my name. So then the media starts coming around, and then 
And then finally, uh, 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 Bob Moore, who was a tight end for the Raiders, uh, who I knew him, I knew him a little bit. Uh, he, he suggested I have a meeting in San Francisco with Ed Garvey, who was the uh, executive director of the, of the NFLPA. And I was there and I listened to what's happened. I got up, I made a little speech and then I, I said here, okay. And then, and uh, I went back and, uh, I told, uh, I sent a letter to Ed and I said, you should hire me. Give me, give me six months. This is, this is, this is, we're in the middle of the, the war now. Let's jump into it. So, and I literally, I was going to just, uh, work for six months and, uh, which lasted, uh, 25 years. <laughs> That's the story. <laughs> well, look, I, I, it, it seems to me, it seems to me you would be so uniquely qualified but I didn't know. to step I, into that I, role. But what I'm saying is, when you asked me these last few questions, I didn't know. Yeah, there's no, no plan. There's, there. there's yeah. no plan. I, I I just did what I did, and 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 I didn't I didn't think about it. You know, like what would be the this or be or that or but I I don't know the next step. Do that, and then the next step, the next step. Kind of, do you see what I'm saying? What I've made in my life just to make decisions. On that basis, whatever that is, I have no idea the next step, really. You know, I like I'd like to, you know, think about it. <laughs> oh, wow, what have this? That I, I don't, I don't know. Do, do you see what I'm saying? I, I did. The well, book look, was so, just about so, me so. doing the story. It wasn't about anything other than writing the story. When it happened, oh, all right, good. This, well, I'm a speaker. Let's go on the the the. And, and I was in 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 part of the movement. So, you know, I was I was a speaker. You know, I taught articulated about sport and the movement and anti-war and the war and blah 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 blah. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm sure it was also very inspirational to a lot guess, of people, both inside and outside some people, of the game. Yeah, yeah, I think most people, you know, I, I was good at what I was doing, and but, but to me it was important to say and articulate what's going on in the fucking world, <laughs> basically. <laughs> now, you, now, coming, so, okay, let's talk about the Players Association, because I, I have to think that, you know, some part of you was like, ah, I, you know, football is maybe the is not is not something I want to go back to in any way, shape, or form. But it, Yet, but, this kind of role could allow for some redemption not, in some no, respects, or some, there was some no, not those redemption. kind of words don't mean anything because the yeah, struggle, okay, but the, still, the struggle cause, for social justice, if you want to use that phrase, I realized I knew what happened when you're owned. When you're owned, I mean owned, you're a fucking slave. I'm slave. I'm I'm sorry. You are. You don't have choice. Yeah. You get it? No choice. Okay. Slavery is a degree of uh, a degree of slavery. Okay. There is degrees of. So when you're trying to open it up to make choice 
that that is fundamental to human consciousness, right? What is democracy about? <laughs> I mean, how, where do you want to where, where where do we want to take this? Do you see what I'm saying? So 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 that's so there was no consequences about it. It was just this is what we need to do. I need to do. This is what I'm, what I'm doing. And there were other people doing it as well. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Bernie Parishers of the world, you know, the, you know, you name it. I, it, it's just, and, and of course, professional football, there were, and then of course, then we made, put together the union, you know, it was early before me, you know, and then da, da, da. And what we had to do was what did we, the bottom line? And I would say that we've got to free the, free the slaves. This is, this is what's going on, by the way, what the hell you think we're doing? What does free agency mean? Free agency means you can do that. You have a choice. That's what it means. Okay. And when I, and I, I probably had probably 10,000 meetings for 25 years. Cause I had, you know, my teams, I had what, 15 teams or something like 12 teams, you know, so this is what it's all about. And so then you had to go through the struggle. How do you how do you make it work so we can win? It's just like a fucking football game, you know? Two teams, okay. You gotta figure it out how we're gonna win. Okay. And thank God we had this incredible guy, you know, Gene Upshaw, who was a fucking winner, you know, Hall of Famer, and he a good friend and he hired me. You know, after Gar uh, Gar Garvey left, and and so Gene, you know, and there we had a, a group of us uh, former players, Clark Baines, you know, Doug Allen, myself, you know, Gene, you basically the core guys who put together the fucking organization to win the fucking war. I'll be blunt about it. And of course we had to put in the money and how do we figure it out and did all that. And it was all that stuff. It was, it was, it was a trip and people don't have any idea of what it took when they, when the owners, Norman brain and he said, what the fuck is going on? Why don't we buy off the players? They put in $25 million. This was 25 years ago. Okay. So they they what they what they did was the licensing stuff. We were trying to make some money. They would basically Bruce Smith. It was a big one. They gave him two hundred fifty thousand to defect our from our NFLPA licensing program. Okay, it it went all the way down to guys who were getting ten thousand to defect from our licensing program, which is what we were making our money to run the organization and and funding the lawsuits. Twelve lawsuits. People don't know this yet. 
So that's what happened. And Brandon said, why don't we buy, buy off the fucking players? 25 million bucks. Okay. And it would be wonderful to have somebody, a, a, a really good journalist like a Chuck Core, to see this, see this history because it's an amazing story, actually, at one level of the story. I'm not going to do it for sure, but, but do you see what I'm saying? So this is what was going on. This is what was going on when I was in the middle of the in the uh, you know the, the players association our work to do that. Because it was all about freeing the, uh, the, the free agency, what, what we call now free agency. Some some level though of, of satisfaction though. For it you, was though, not right? given it, from no, where you came I, from. And no, 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 I mean, no. You, you're, miss, you're missing it. You're missing it again. You, your level of stuff at a certain level. It was not about satisfaction. Okay. Writing wrongs, equaling playing the equal, equaling the playing field, so to speak. Let me. Uh, you have a, some uh, level uh, of uh, a pie. Okay. And you say to your kids, "Okay, um, I'll keep the the pie. You know, you don't get any. Or one of the kids, you take it." You you don't get any. The other ones don't have any. I'm trying to metaphor it a bit. As opposed to, oh, wow, we need to carve out the supply and make it fair and equitable. And everybody gets a piece. Oh, is that good? Now, if you're a, a father, you could say, well, I'm, am I satisfied? Not really. It's okay. Fine. Yeah. Satisfied. Yeah. Great. It's just the, 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 the thing that the, the right thing to do. So satisfaction, you know, doesn't, the word doesn't mean for me anyhow, it's just what you need, what you need to do. Do you see what I'm saying? So am I satisfied? Yeah, I guess. No, I get it. I, am I not? Is it, it, yeah. You know, yeah, well, if we won, I would be, if we lost, I would be not satisfied. But when we won, fine. Okay, satisfied. Big deal. What's the next thing? Do you see what I'm saying? I get it. No, well, look, I, and look, yeah, yeah, but poor choice of words on my part. But I mean, I, it certainly, it was a... You you certainly helped improve the situation we from where you do. came. That's what our job was to do. This is what this is. This is why I did twenty five. Not in, in post post facto. Yeah, this is the job. This is what we were doing. All right. So that that, that leads me to my next my, my next and maybe most important right, question. Right. Then, and I kind of hinted at it earlier, Dave. Right. Okay, here we go. What what still has left to be done? Because it seems through the modern prism of NFL football, professional sports, that uh, college sports, there's still a long way to go on most of these issues. Yeah. Would yeah. you agree? Well, yeah, we made some good break breakthroughs and, and, but, but, you know, when you understand the system of any system, you know, my line is, and I'll say it again, who gets what? 
my line, I'll say it again. Who gets what? So you've got the players and the, quote, the owners or whatever. Okay? Who gets what? So when we, when we were in the middle of the of the the stuff when I started the players were getting 30% of the bag of money that the L, the NFL generated and 70% of the money were going to the owners is that right is it fair when we, when the when we won the war in 1993 this percentages flipped the players got the 70 and the owners got 30 what happened well market dynamics who's better than you i'll pay you more money, better, better player than a lesser player. Okay? Now, that is a market system, right? Any market system, right? That's called capitalism. You got it? <laughs> so, so, and then, of course, the kicker is regulation. What is regulation? In 1936, the, um, the union movement, National Labor Relations Board was created because there was war in the streets historically then, okay? And Roosevelt said, look, we've got to put together a regulation system and a dynamic so that workers and owners can deal with and and produce agreements that are fair, quote, unquote. Do you see what I'm saying? So the union movement, which we I was part of, was in that bailiwick of the National Labor Relations Act in 1936. Okay? So, what we're seeing now, for example, with Amazon, and they're trying to organize because they want a union, because the guys working in these sweatshop situations, it's not fair. People need money. They don't, they're not educated particularly. So the union movement in this country and in Europe, you know, that has happened. So, so there's the issues of equity and choice in our game or in our work. Free agency was the goal because there's a hierarchy of the best players to the bottom, to the, you know, who are the, you know, whatever, 36, how many, 30 quarterbacks, who are the best? 
Well, we'll dick around. Well, somebody will pay them. That's the system. So you know all this stuff, right? So, so that's really, you know, the bottom line of stuff. And so when winning the, winning the war, players had choice and have choice, and they are. And now basically the, oh, well, there are probably five agreements now since. It's about 50-50 on the money split the bag of money. I say, it's the bag of money. All right, who gets what? Okay, well, owner's got chunk and the player's got chunk. And so basically where we are now with the, with the NFLPA and the NFL owners, you know, it's about a 50-50 split, you know. So, and the guys are, you know, and, and, and in that system, Players can, you know, as as they're doing now, you know, the 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 tag, you know, they'll put the put the tag on you, you know, franchise tag, you know, that that. So this is part of the system of putting together the system, you know, the players, you know, the four years contracts, you know, and then you can then you can be quote free after four years, for example. I mean, you know, there's all different aspects of how the system works, but basically people have figured it out over the year. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a very profitable system for the uh, owners and the players. I mean, what is the business now is what about 20, 27 billion or something like that. So, uh, probably getting close to 30 million through to 30 billion. So, so this is, you know, this is basically, you know, how, how what do we want to talk about? So, uh, okay. Well, that that's, those, those are economics. Well, so w- w- how about your, what about your thoughts about the issue of race, which of is course, still very much an issue. Of course, of course it is. And what about what about what well, about health my, and safety? you know, my CTE view, and I'm of course I'm not I'm not I'm not a uh, I can I can send you I'll send you an article I wrote twelve years ago. Um, I'll pull it out. I'm looking at it actually. It's called "Let Players Decide Who Coaches Will Be." Oh, first paragraph. Historical pattern of racial practice by NFL owners is again made front pages in the sporting press. Okay, and I'll, I'll send it to you if you want. I'm serious. Okay, absolutely. So, but it just again it speaks so it, to your, it, it, your so knowledge speaks, of things. It, it speaks really- to the idea of having players having choices, and I and, and I say in this look. The race problem, because the, from the from the player's standpoint, who's a better coach for the players? I want to have a good coach. I don't give a fucking grand green whatever. I want a good coach because that's going to extend my career, making making my myself better as a as a player. So that's the gist of what this article, you know, and that when I said, let the players decide whose coaches will be. 
who coaches will be. Okay. Cause uh, there's a ton of, you know, former players who are <laughs> incredible coaches, politic, uh, you know, but that pattern of racism, when I did most sociology stuff in Canton, Ohio, in the hall of fame was the same shit. So it's coming around 1968 when I did that study. I literally went to Canton, Canton for three days. And I went, I went through all the, all, all the, the photographs of every team. So, so this is not something new, <laughs> by, by the way. Well, sadly, it's also, I mean, some progress has been made on a well, lot of fronts, what, but what, still what do you some mean by, Yeah, no, you're right. There's, pro, there's progr- progress. Yeah, there was, for a number of years, there was no blood. And Doug Williams, you know, and I, I, I listened to the, it was a, the, the show, you know, how how the, the black guy, quarterbacks, opened, you know, Doug opened the door. You see, so this, the racism question has always been in this country, of course. So when you're looking at different levels of it and permutations and aspects, dimensions of, in sport, you know, professional sport in our country, yeah, of course there's going to be issues. Because the fucking owners are all white, man. <laughs> by the way. You, well, yeah, oh, by the way. So, all right, last question. Then. Tell, me, though, about your, tell, me about your, tell me about your thoughts on, on the medical and safety front. Do you worry about players from your generation, the 70s and the 80s, even the 90s, and, and, the, uh, and their health uh, and the effects of playing such yeah. a violent game? Um, yeah, because I, the, as I said before, and I started, I, 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 I rant off into my stuff. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, and you'll probably have to, you know, you're probably say this, this guy. That's great. But, but no, if, 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 if you're seen as an object, as a black person, you're not, you're seen by many people as a object. Do you understand? So when the owners, okay, see players, either black or white, are just objects, okay, we don't have to do anything. There's no big deal. It's just an object. It's a widget. It's an apple. I'll tell you a story. I think I... Uh, Gene and I were uh, we had a meeting in with the with the of uh, the Cowboys and and so uh, we went to to Tex Schramm's office and um, and I knew him and Gene knew him of course and and so we're we're waiting you know for the guys to come after practice and then we're going to do a uh, a meeting after practice and so we're sitting into. Uh, uh, Texas uh, office and tra- Texas, uh, you know, he's, he's, 
he's he, <laughs> into his cups, as they say. <laughs> so, so he's looking at Gene. He's looking at me. He looks at Gene. He says, "You know, Gene, uh, I need to. I want to say something. Here's here 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 is here is here it is." Here, here, how, how is it? How it, how it is? Yeah, text. What is it? Okay. You players are like the cattle. We are like the ranchers, and we can always. Get more cattle. Get it? It's like a both of us look like a what? <laughs> he nailed it. Tex says we're the ranchers. You guys are the the cattle. We can always get more cattle. Literally, I'm telling you this story. <laughs> and I said he nailed it. <laughs> Okay, so if we use the word objects or whatever, you know, other word, you know, just more cattle. We can always, he said, we we can always get more cattle. But that cattle, that cattle, though, is it's been proving uh, over time and even more so that there's some damage there. We talked about humanity or being human. But but I'm saying, look. When a when a cow breaks its leg, you shoot him. Okay. As a football player, when you get you get concussed, get him a new one. Get a new one. Okay. But what about the health and welfare of that player after that is done? After that career well, is over? Well, the whole point ended. of what we've been doing since I was there and we're doing much more now and I don't you probably don't know a lot of it but there's a a big chunk of uh, money and uh, effort and uh, organization uh, uh, and money for players who are damaged have been damaged in the game and I don't want to get into it but there's and, and one of the things that we did uh, when we put together the war was to carve out a piece of money for, we call it the benefits, including pensions, but also the medical care for for former players. You don't know about this, but there's a big chunk of it there. So, and, and the league, also, as you know, what was it uh, what, five years, seven years ago, when when we won the big we, but the players won that big billion dollar suit, the CTE uh, suit. Um, yep. You know, of course, that was about you know pushing the money into players who need it because they're damaged by uh, by playing football and. Uh, their brains and so on. And so there's a whole system now that's available uh, now uh, 
for the health and welfare of players. And welfare, of course, the, the pensions and, and, and all the money that guys can uh, access now. Uh, but it was never there before. We didn't, there wasn't, well, just, it was historical over time. It was more and more coming into it, into, into, into players and um, the money to, uh, to deal with uh, these, these issues. And so, so yeah, so they're, they're on it. They're definitely on it, you know. The unions on it, the the NFL's on it, and, and all the rest of it, because because they realize now they they could bit their asses, get their asses sued, so for uh, you know being complicit with it, and that's why they we they were able to win the uh, the quote settlement, the one billion dollar settlement. Man, what an interesting guy and an interesting story for sure. Um, all right. Before we go any further, uh, you must stop what you're doing and get a copy uh, of this book. It is one of the all-time great uh, sports books. It's on every list uh, that's ever published out there. And uh, again, a groundbreaking book at it in its time, 1970, when it was published, uh, and still very much so today. The book, again, is called Out of Their League was reissued by our pals at uh, the University of Nebraska Press under their Bison Books imprint, I think in 2007 or so. It is uh, absolutely available uh, in various forms, wherever you can find uh, good books. Uh, but of course, uh, if you'd like to give us a couple of shekels of referral love by doing so, uh, please, by all means, just uh, buy the book through our website at goodseatsstillavailable.com. Just search up this episode number 253 with Dave Megacy, and you'll find a convenient link to it. And uh, we appreciate that uh, to no end. I'm sure Dave will, too. A uh, couple of uh, uh, of uh, of shekels coming his way, too. I think uh, it's all uh, all good for, for all concerned, don't you think? Um, a great story. Fascinating. Do yourself a favor. Check out the YouTube uh, clip. Uh, I think it's about a good uh, 18, 20 minutes long uh, from August 3rd, 1970 of the Dick Cavett show. Uh, where you'll see the entire interview of Dave with uh, with Dick Cavett. Uh, and yes, again, Janis Joplin and Gloria Swanson uh, are guests on that. You'll hear and see them uh, chiming in as uh, Dave and uh, and Dick go at it uh, in conversation. Um, it's a fascinating clip, well worth uh, seeking uh, as well. Uh, what else? Um, not only our thanks to Dave, but our thanks to uh, our pal Jerry Payne, of course, who painstakingly puts all of our pieces together uh, editorially and um, uh, with his wizardry and knob turning. Uh, we appreciate that very much. And we also appreciate you following us uh, in uh, various social media places. Uh, we're on Facebook. You'll find us on Instagram at Good Seats Still Available. Uh, and you'll find us on Twitter at Good Seats Still. Uh, you can send us email at hello at goodseatsstillavailable.com. By all means, do that. And uh, we'll also, while you're on the website at goodseatsstillavailable.com, you can find a little link there to uh, subscribe to our weekly email newsletter. Uh, which is really more of a tip-off as to what the uh, episode of the coming days is going to be. And uh, all you just need is your name and your email address, and that's it. And uh, you'll be in the know. Uh, thanks once again for listening. We appreciate it and hope you enjoyed it. I sure did. And uh, until next week, take care, everybody. Please stay safe and sane. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.